Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Tuesday, September 19th. Great show today. We got Brian Schable, uh, Scheibel, excuse me, recurring guest, talking about Colorado Buffaloes uh, 3-0 after this past weekend. A thrilling uh, double overtime victory against Colorado State, their rivals, their in-state rivals. Uh, blowing expectations. We're going to talk all about that with Brian coming up in a little bit. But first, guys, we're going to go to the NFL Week 2. I want to start with the Ravens and the Bengals. Bengals are in trouble. I don't know what's going on with Joe Burrow. I think he might be hurt. I'm not really sure. A lot of speculation going around the league. Uh, they struggled, though, again this week against the Ravens. Obviously, we know they lost last week against the Browns as well. Um, Bengals didn't record a first down until more than 10 minutes into the second. Uh, and that was actually on a defensive pass interference. They finally scored the first offensive touchdown of the season with three minutes left in the third quarter. What do you guys think is going on with the Bengals right now? Do you think this is cause for concern or do you think they're going to bounce back pretty uh pretty easily here? i think they'll bounce back eventually but i think the problem is is their offensive line and and burrow's calf injury i mean they're they're just not recording touchdowns or getting you know from getting first downs at all with this offense this is a slow start by the Bengals. i still think they'll bounce back i still think they're going to be a threat in the afc north and in the afc playoffs but last year they started off 0-2, and, and they had some major offensive line problems. Yeah, it seems to be the recurring problem with this franchise. has always been offensive line issues, and even though they went out and got Orlando Brown, it just doesn't seem like it's come together. I think it will eventually. But you saw Joe Burrow kind of limped off the field after he threw his last touchdown pass, which is the last time the Bengals actually got the ball in their hands. Uh, the Ravens are able to run the clock out. But that's – the, the crisis for the Bengals, Joe Burrow's hurt, the season's over. You know, the running game hasn't been consistent enough. Jamar Chase and T. Higgins haven't gotten the ball enough. And defensively, they really kind of let the Ravens run down the field on them without two of their three best offensive linemen. And it was kind of a banged-up Ravens team, and yet they couldn't get stops. You know, you had the bad red zone interception. I think the Bengals are going to be fine. They were 0-2 last year. In worse situation, than I think, than they are in this year, and they were still the number three seed in the AFC last year. I think the Ravens might be a problem, but we all know the Ravens are due to have a Lamar injury or due to have another injury somewhere else. So I'm still not completely hitting the panic button yet on the Bengals. I'm not going to say that they're going to win the division right now or that they're totally fine, but am I panicking? Not necessarily. Yeah, Ravens doing Fine without uh, J.K. Dobbins. Gus Edwards seems to be the next guy up for the Ravens, uh, the feature running back going forward for the team. Uh, 62 yards on 10 carries and had one TD. Um, so Ravens seem to be okay without uh, J.K. Dobbins. We'll see how that continues as the season goes on. Um, but yeah, Ravens, like you said, Zach, only a matter of time until an injury kind of takes them out and uh, puts them down a peg. Let's move on to the Chiefs and Jaguars. Uh Chiefs playing weird as well. Bengals, uh, along with the Bengals, another team that's really not playing up to their potential so far. It seems like offense is really struggling. They had three early early turnovers on in Sunday against the Jaguars in Duval. Uh, they didn't score until the final minute of play in the first half. What's up with the Chiefs, guys? Are you concerned about the Chiefs as well? I mean, what what are we uh, no. thinking about the Chiefs? 
They won. They beat the Jags. The Jags are the best team in the AFC South. They went to the playoffs last year. I don't care if it's 17-9. I don't care if it's 41-39. It's a win. And if you're Kansas City, the thing you should be encouraged about is your defense. The defensive line looked fantastic against the Lions. They looked really good yesterday, and now Chris Jones is back in the fold. Let your defense carry you for a couple weeks while your offense is still trying to figure things out. And remember, they have a new offensive coordinator. Eric Bieniemy is up in Washington now, so they're trying to get that continuity going. Travis Kelsey had a touchdown catch yesterday. Great call by Ian Eagle, by the way, with the blank space in the end zone, if you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, the wide receivers, Sky Moore in a play, had a touchdown catch. They got to run the ball a little bit better, but it's Patrick Mahomes. They beat the Jaguars, a playoff team, on the road. There's no reason to be concerned. Sometimes it's... It's not always aesthetically pleasing, but there are no style points needed in the NFL. Wins a win. Well, the roster's definitely not the greatest roster by the Chiefs, but they're still finding ways to win games. Obviously, with Patrick Mahomes under center, you're da- you're going to win games, and you're going to basically stay in the game for the rest of the season. So I would say Kansas City is doing okay. I think that they'll, they'll be fine. I mean, they're just off to – you know, a slow start, and they still won the game. And that's another thing with teams around the NFL. When you have a new offensive coordinator, I don't care who's behind center, I don't care how good your offense is or your defense, it's still going to have an adjustment period in week two, maybe even the first four weeks of the season, especially with some of these teams not playing their starters in the preseason too much for a series or two. I think that's the biggest mistake is not playing the starters in the preseason. But Kansas City did play, but I'm talking about other teams throughout the league with new coordinators on both offense and defense. But Kansas City, I still think they're in a good position in in the AFC West, and I still think in the AFC they can be a threat. Yeah, Jaguars just couldn't find the end zone this game either. Uh, They settled for three field goals uh, from Brandon McManus. Christian Kirk, though, I do want to talk about him kind of coming up as another big time receiver for the Jaguars, along with Calvin Ridley. He had 11 receptions in for 110 yards, uh, you know, on Sunday against the Chiefs. Uh, Christian, yeah, Christian Kirk, definitely a name to look out for as we go forward and uh, go forward in the season for the Jaguars. And I, I would love uh, them to throw him the ball more. I, I would love Trevor Lawrence to target him more because I think he's going to be a really good asset for the Jaguars going forward. Last point I have on this game, Chris Jones never left, never missed the beat. Uh, one, one and a half sacks on five QB pressures. Uh, just, yeah, definitely making an impact on his first game back uh, in uh, this season. Let's move on to uh, Titans Chargers. Titans end the eight-game skid with an overtime win against the Chargers. The Titans have not won a game dating back to November of 17th of last year when they beat the Packers. Um, Ryan Tannehill, he actually looked competent, threw for 246 yards and a TD. He looked really, yeah. di- he looked dynamic. He looked. What do you think, Zach? He looked pretty dynamic. Looked really well, he good did out have there. A co- yeah, he had a couple big plays, a 70-yarder to Traylon Burks and a 49-yarder to Chris Moore, so that'll inflate the stats a little bit. But yeah, 20 of 24, 246 yards, a touchdown, more importantly, no interceptions. So you'll take that any day of the week if you're the Titans. You don't need Ryan Tannehill to be great. You just don't need him to screw the whole thing up. Derrick Henry, 80 yards, had a touchdown rush. The Titans are a program that or a franchise that win these games as much as any in the entire league. I mean, Mike Vrabel's got a gritty, tough team. They always seem to figure out a way to stay in every game defensively. 
Uh, that's why you see them struggle in low-scoring games or at least keep games low scoring because their defense is really good. But the big story coming out of this, I think, for the Titans, they've now got a reliable kicker, Nick Folk. The Titans have had the worst field goal unit in the NFL for the last three years, and now you bring in Folk, who's kicked for the Cowboys, the Jets. He's been a consistent kicker for 16 years now. That's a big addition for the Titans as they go into late close games, overtime games, whatever the case may be, that they can now trust their kicking unit. I think the Titans are a team that people buried a little bit too early. I'm not ready to say they're going to win the division because I think the Jaguars are better, but don't be surprised if the Titans are in the playoff mix, or at least they're pulling off a couple of upsets and making life difficult for all the top contending teams. And if you're the Chargers, 0-2, little concern. Mm -hmm. uh, Justin Herbert didn't look – I mean, he played okay yesterday, but the Chargers – Always seem to lose these kind of games. They didn't really run the ball without Austin Eckler. Their defense is inconsistent. I I just don't I don't know what to make of them. And Brandon Staley, he's probably that seat's getting a lot mm-hmm. warmer now. He's on the hot seat, that's for sure, for the Chargers. I I would say I'm very disappointed in the Chargers. I know it's early, but 0-2, not a good start. Obviously, they lost close. They've they've lost four straight close games by under five points. That includes the playoff game against the Jaguars where they were up 28 to nothing, I believe. And they blew that game. And they blew that game. Jacksonville came back to win it. But this is a disappointing start by the Chargers. They're kind of an early disappointment for me in this league. Yeah, you mentioned it, Zach, too. They had no run game, the Chargers, on Sunday. Their highest carrier, like their, their their biggest rusher on Sunday was Josh Kelly for 13 rushes and only 39 yards. I do want to go back to Brandon Staley, though. Definitely on the hot seat. Defense, too good. Offense, too good. I mean, the defense alone, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson, uh, still struggling on that side of the bar. They, they just paid job. Uh, Justin Herbert, obviously, we we all know. So, yeah, I mean, it's something's going to have to be figured out big time for the Chargers going forward. And what do you guys think is the, you know, how late into the season do you think he can go uh, before he gets fired? I mean, say, like, what do you think? And, like, even, like, two and six, do you think that's something that's going to be a fireable offense? Or do you think he's going to make it to the end of the season? I think he gets fired. Uh, probably at the end of the season. I, I don't think they'll be two and six. I think they will win a couple games here and there, but I just don't see them as a playoff team in the AFC. I mean, they're too good, and the coaching is just completely keeping them down. So I think the Chargers will have a new coach by next year. Yeah. I, I agree. I think the Chargers need a new voice in there, and we've seen, you know, Brandon Staley, remember when he came into the NFL, what were they doing? They were challenging analytics. They were going for it on fourth down. They were doing aggressive things that people wouldn't have considered doing, and now it seems like he's changed his style up, and he's been one of the least aggressive coaches in the NFL. Like That's the problem. is If you're going to have a certain style, you live or die with it, and if you keep changing it and now you're coaching scared, that's when you know maybe it's time for Brandon Staley to move Especially on. Especially with all that talent there on both sides of the ball. Yeah, like we yeah, like we just said. Yeah, Chargers on definitely on the verge of being one of the most disappointing teams this year. Time will tell. Obviously, it's only week two, but they're definitely not on a good start here. Let's move on to Bills Raiders. Bills finally have a run game. Uh, James Cook ran seventeen times for one hundred and twenty three yards. Um, so four receptions as well with thirty six yards on the catching. 
Uh, Allen bounced back 31 for th- uh, 31 for 27 for 274 yards and three TDs. Uh, he completed his first, first 13 attempts as well. What do you guys think about this big bounce back game for Josh Allen? It was a much needed win for the Bills and a much needed bounce back game for Josh Allen after turning the ball over four times against the Jets on Monday Night Football. At home, I expected this win for the Bills. The Raiders, they got a lot of lot of work to do. I mean, they're just they're one and one, but they're still just the, I, I didn't expect a lot from the Raiders, mm-hmm. but I think the Bills will bounce back, definitely bounce back. And I think they're going to they'll be a threat in the AFC. They're going to be a tough out once again. Yeah, this had lock written all over mm-hmm. it. This is my lock of the week. The Bills, when they beat teams, they usually blow them out. And they're very good at blowing out bad teams. And they took care of business. Josh Allen, 31 of 37, 274, three touchdowns. He's got to be a little less aggressive again. He had a couple runs that if you're Sean McDermott, you're just like, get down, mm-hmm. get down. But James Cook ran the ball effectively, 123 yards on 17 carries. Uh, Gabe Davis actually caught a touchdown that wasn't on a go route. So that's something that's a, a startling revelation. But the, the Raiders, this is a 10 a.m. local kick. This is not a particularly great team. I know they beat the Broncos week one, but it doesn't really show out. doesn't really mean anything to me. And the Bills, they're going to be fine. Josh Allen, as long as he doesn't turn the ball over, he's going to be fine. Those are also so good coming off a loss, too. Since 2019, they're 13 and four and getting following a loss. Uh, it was also Allen's 21st outing with three or more touchdown passes. Uh, my other other point, only other point for this game, Josh Jacobs for the Raiders played terribly. Uh, he had nine rushes for minus two yards. It's actually the first time in NFL history that a defending rushing champion finished with negative yardage in a game. Hey, uh, congratulations, guys, and congratulations to everybody listening to this. We all had more rushing yards than Josh Jacobs. We did. Yeah. Hey, we did it. Yeah, everyone sitting on their couch had more rushing yards than Josh Jacobs, which is, like I said, for being the rushing leader last year, that's just amazing. Falcons, Packers. Let's move on to this game. Or fa- or I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. Are Falcons legit, or are the Panthers and Packers just bad? I mean, obviously, the Panthers are not good. Packers, though, are not a wash of a team, though. So I'm going to get your thoughts. I mean, what do you guys think on the Falcons after the first two games this season? They're early early and impressive teams. Both the Falcons and the Packers have been pretty impressive early. The Packers had a 24-12 lead in this game, but the Falcons came all the way back to the fourth quarter, scoring a touchdown and two field goals and the game-winning field goal that put them up 25-24 over the Packers. I, I think the Falcons are are having a good early start to the season. Bijan Robinson looks great behind uh, at running back, mm-hmm. but I think the Falcons are definitely they definitely could be a threat in the AFC South, the the uh, NFC South. I'm sorry, good to, not a bad division to start. The Bucks and the Falcons both being two and zero, and the Packers not a, not the best uh, not the best game, but definitely. Still, even though they blew the game in the fourth quarter, I still think the Packers are an impressive team to start it off. And Jordan Love is not playing bad football. They're a comp. They're going to be a competent team this year. No, he threw three touchdowns mm-hmm. yesterday. Like Jordan Love, through his first two games, has looked about as good as you could anticipate a young quarterback to look in his first two starts. So I'm not concerned about that. I was a little surprised at the lack of a running game yesterday, though Aaron Jones being out was a big deal. Christian Watson being out was a big deal. So their top two offensive weapons, arguably, being out of that game, and yet they still let it going into the fourth quarter. I think the thing that intrigues me with the Falcons, 
three different people carried the ball at least 10 times. Desmond Ritter, Tyler Algier, Bijan Robinson. And I think they just need to give this team to Bijan Robinson. 19 carries, 124 yards, 6.5 yards per carry. Algier only ran for 48 yards. Ritter had only 39. It's obvious. Bijan Robinson is the best running back on this team. And if the Falcons are going to win this division, it's going to be on the back of the running game, and it's going to be on the back of the defense. Their defensive line was able to get some pressure on Jordan Love yesterday. The Falcons are good enough to win the NFC South. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Do I consider them a contender for anything beyond that? No. But I will say the NFC South is a better division so far than we ever thought it would be coming into the season. And Arthur Smith deserves credit. This team's 2-0, and they've got an opportunity to kind of prove themselves these next couple weeks. And if you're the Packers, I'm not all that concerned, even though you blew a 12-point lead in the fourth quarter. Still didn't have your top two weapons. We're able to keep yourselves in the game, and Jordan Love looked pretty good. So I don't know if it's a win-win necessarily, but the Falcons, I think, feel pretty good about themselves. Yeah, B. John Robinson, if he continues to play like he did the first two weeks, definitely a lot for Offensive Rookie of the Year. There's no doubt about that. I do want to touch base on Desmond Ritter, though, real fast. We didn't really talk about him yet in this game. Uh, 19 for 32, not a great completion percentage, but 237 yards with one touchdown and only one t- uh, one interception. People are not really expecting a whole lot from Desmond Ritter. And I was actually really surprised by how he played. And I was, I, lo- I, I that was my biggest takeaway from this game. I just think about how well Desmond Ritter did play. I mean, a lot of people look at Ritter as more of a game manager uh, and not really somebody that can be dynamic and move around. But he showed that he can actually run the ball and be, you know, a, you know, move around a lot in the pocket, kind of, um, you know, bypass, uh, pass rushing, get away from pass rushers. So, yeah, I was really impressed by Desmond Ritter in this game, uh, this him showing up and uh, getting the win for the Falcons. Let's move on to the Seahawks and Lions. Um, absolute My upset pick of the week, baby. Yeah, absolute slugfest of a game. Uh, Jared Goff, 38, or 28 for 35, 323 yards with three touchdowns. Geno Smith. 32 for 41 for 328 yards and two touchdowns. Like I said, just absolute slugfest. Um, Jared Goff did get his first interception or yeah, his first interception in 383 attempts. Unfortunately, he was only 30 shy of Aaron Rodgers uh, NFL record for the most uh, completions without interception. So that was sad to see. But what other takeaways do you guys have from this game uh, other than just being an absolute slugfest? Yeah, I think the thing is the Lions were so hyped after their win against Kansas City and the Seahawks were so low following their loss last week against the Rams. This was a perfect trap game scenario, and the Seahawks have owned the Lions now. Five straight wins. Remember, last year it was 48-45. Now this year, 37-31. And they really did it without a running game. Kenneth Walker only had 43 yards. It's a game that Geno Smith carried this team. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Noah Fant. They've got receivers all over the place. This can be one of the best passing attacks in the NFL. All they got to do is get that running game going, and I think the Seahawks are going to be a dangerous offense. In the case of Detroit, I think they're a contender, but I'm interested to see how this team handles success. How do they handle expectations? Because they've never really had those expectations before. It's one thing to start the year one and six last year and then win eight of your last ten and almost make the playoffs. It's even another thing to beat Kansas City when no one expects you to win the game. People are now having expectations of the Lions, and I want to see how they handle it. Now, losing to the Seahawks certainly is not a detriment. It's not a sign that they can't handle it. But Dan Campbell and company have got to prove that they can be as good when people have expectations of them as they are when they're kind of the underdogs because Dan Campbell at his heart is an underdog, us-against-the-world kind of coach. Well, now he's got to figure out a way to play the favorite role as a head coach. But this is a massive win for Pete Carroll and the 
the Seahawks. Don't want to start 0-2, especially with the 49ers in your division. Yeah. Um, Justin, anything on you before we head on? Good win by the Seahawks. I thought they, I thought they were kind of not dead in the water last week, but I thought they were definite. They were not what they were last year. I thought they they regressed. But this game showed that that this team can hang with anybody, and I think the Lions are a little overhyped after Kansas City, a little overhyped going into the year. But I think uh, I think Seattle can hang with anybody, and I think the Lions still could win that division in the NFC North, especially with the way the Vikings and the Bears, who we'll get to in a minute, started off. Do you guys think the Seattle is Seattle back uh, this week after a bad loss to the Rams? Do you think they're a better team than what they showed week one, or do you think this was more kind of a fluke uh, that time will tell? Yeah, I think they're better than what they showed against in, against the Rams in week one. I'm not ready to say they're back or anything like that, but yeah. the, the truth about the Seahawks is probably somewhere in the middle of their win today and their loss last week. True. Bears, Buccaneers. Uh, is Baker? I think Baker Mayfield might be having a resurrection in Tampa. 317 yards in a TD on Sunday and had not had a – he didn't turn the ball over in two straight weeks, his first two games as a, yeah. as a Buccaneer. What do you guys think about Baker Mayfield having a resurgence in uh, Tampa? I always thought Baker always got crapped on too much because Baker took the fall for, you know, playing with a hurt shoulder in 2021. Remember, he broke it or separated it after trying to make a tackle in week two. He tried to gut it out the rest of the season through a lot of interceptions, and that's what made Browns fans think he wasn't the franchise guy. A year after, he has one of the most efficient seasons of any quarterback in the league and leads them to their first playoff win in 26 years. Baker Mayfield's not an elite quarterback, but he shouldn't be so tossed aside the way that he has been over these last couple years. And he seems to have a perfect fit in Tampa because he's got some guy named Mike Evans, six catches, 171 yards, Chris Godwin. Tampa's got weapons. There's no question about that. They got a bit of a running game yesterday. Rashad White had 73 yards, which is a high number for Tampa because they couldn't run the ball at all last year. And the Bucs, 2-0, they're kind of a sneaky team. They're not making the playoffs or anything like that, but they could be one of those teams that pulls off an upset or two, kind of sneaks up on some people. You got to give Todd Bowles some credit. They didn't do... Great last year. They did make the playoffs. People wanted Todd Bowles to get canned. There were people talking about this team maybe having the number one pick in the draft. Well, they're 2-0, and and they have a chance in that division. So give them some credit. And it's a bad look for people like me that are uh, Justin Fields believers because, yeah, yesterday was not the best of days for him. Yeah, uh, Buccaneers defense is severely underrated. Uh, sacked Fields six times and picked him off twice. Another name to look. Another name to look out for uh, is safety Christian Izian on the Bucks. Uh, two weeks in a row, first two games had a, um, you know, had an interception. He was the fourth player in NFL history to begin their career, their first two games with an interception. So definitely nothing to look out for Christian Izian on uh, the defensive backfield for the Buccaneers. Bears, like you said, Zach, continue to disappoint, though. Um, this is their franchise record franchise record, 12th consecutive loss uh, leading in the last season. Justin Fields, still a major question mark going forward. Um, doesn't look like he's making the jump anytime soon. 211 yards for one TD, but with two interceptions. He only rushed the ball four times for three yards, but they get a TD for the rush. So what do you think? I mean, is Justin Fields... I, what do you make about Justin Fields at this point? I know it's still only week two. We have a lot more football to play, 
But, I mean, what are you thinking about Justin Fields right very, now? Do you, is he ever going to make that jump? Very disappointing for Justin Fields. I mean, he definitely – I just don't know if he is going to make that jump, especially with the Chicago Bears. They're just a very disappointing team. I, I thought the Bears would be a sneaky team this year. I thought they would even contend in the NFC North. But I I, I just don't think – I think they're worse than, than what they were. I think the Packers – are going to finish better than them. They, I know it's early. They might be picking in the top 10 this year so far. Yeah, and if that's the case, then they might be quarterback hopping because mm-hmm. this draft is going to be loaded with quarterbacks. Do you think he would have better chance? I mean, Bears obviously are not the best team. They haven't been the best team in a long, long time. Are you? Would you be excited to see Justin Fields somewhere else? Sure. I, mean, I, I would. I personally would be very excited. Um to see him uh, somewhere else, to see what he can do on another team that would actually put help around him, especially on the offensive line. Colts, Texans, Richardson, big storyline. Got uh, he out. He went out for the game with a concussion. Other side of the ball, though, CJ Stroud played really, really well. Three hundred eighty-four yards for two touchdowns. Yeah, uh, he did. yeah. Colts, the Colts dominated from the jump, though. Still, even with CJ Stroud playing the way he did, um, Colts oh, yeah. still were able to come away with the victory. What uh? What else do you guys have in this game? What other takeaways do you want to want to throw in here? Yeah, this is fantastic as a Colts fan. Anthony Richardson, two rushing touchdowns. Yeah, he got concussed, but he's gonna be fine. Like we, we've seen what Anthony Richardson can do in two games. He clearly belongs in this league. He throws the ball very well. And the thing that really encouraged me was that they actually had a running game yesterday with Zach Moss, eighty-eight yards on eighteen carries. That's something that they did not have in Week One. And now, if you can get a consistent running game, if you can get Michael Pittman with eight catches, if you can get you know Josh Downs stepping up or Alec Pierce stepping up, this could be a dangerous team. And I'll say this, Gardner Minshew is putting on a heck of a tape for maybe, I don't know, the Jets, maybe to call and try to get him, 19-23, yards. The Colts are going to be a pesky team. We're not good enough to win the AFC South or anything like that, but I will not be surprised to see the Colts win six, seven games. And if Anthony Richardson can continue his development, that is going to be great. C.J. Stroud was fantastic as well. Yesterday, first time I've ever rooted against C.J. Stroud as an Ohio State fan. But he was fantastic, with even without two of his top three offensive linemen yesterday, throwing the ball very accurately. These are going to be two quarterbacks that are going to be around in this division for a long time. Everybody talks about the AFC South and how bad it is. I think this division is going to get better real quick because you've got Trevor Lawrence, you got C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson. I think these three guys are going to be very good for quite a while. So I think that division is going to get a lot more competitive quickly. Promising future for both Anthony Richardson and C.J. Stroud in the division and probably in the AFC. I think they're going to be they, – they could be a wild card team sooner rather than later. Maybe not this year, but in the next few years, both with the Colts and the Texans. Those guys can play in this league. Yeah, and going back to C.J. Stroud, unfortunately for him, offensive line for the Texans are just completely devastated. Uh, they lost four starters in training camp, and their in their star left tackle, Laramie Tunsil, Tunsil, excuse me, he's he's also out with a knee injury. He was sacked six times yesterday, and he was hit nine other times on Sunday. C.J. I mean, still that's a testament to C.J. Stroud though, just being able to play the way he is playing, even with no offense. I mean, his whole offensive line is basically injured at this point, uh, out, out. So for him to be able to ball out the way he's doing, um, good, good testament to him. And it's exciting to be a Texans fan right now to see what he can do going forward. That's uh, that's right, Zach. You must have been pretty conflicted because C.J. Stroud against nah, the Colts. I'm a I'm a Colts fan. You got to root for the team. 
yeah, Colts first. Yeah. Let's move on, though. Jets, Cowboys. Um, Zach Wilson's unsavable, I think, at this point. Uh, I th- I don't know. I think he is 170 yards, one touchdown, but he threw three interceptions like last year. Still can't take care of the ball. What, is, what other point, I mean, points do you have from this game? Dallas's defense, obviously really, really good. Uh, anything else you guys want to throw into this game? Afternoon slate? Jets have to get a quarterback. It's that simple. They got to go get Gardner Minshew. They got to get Jameis Winston. Get somebody because they're not going anywhere with Zach Wilson. He has no ability for the to feel the pocket. No ability to feel the defenders as far as he throws the ball to defenders too often. Throws too many interceptions. Michael Parsons, though, animal. Absolute freak of nature. This guy might be the closest thing to Lawrence Taylor that we've seen in a very long time. With his ability to get to the quarterback. He's got a great feel for the ball as far as his ability to drop back in coverage, bat passes down, recover fumbles, pick it up and run with it. Micah Parsons is the best defensive player, I think, all around in the entire NFL. And you look at the Cowboy defense, you combine that with Stephon Gilmore and Trayvon Trayvon Diggs in that secondary, my goodness. I think that is the best defense in the NFL. I don't think it's even all that close. If Dak Prescott takes care of the ball, the Dallas Cowboys might be the best team in the NFL right now. Defense had a relatively easy day, though, considering, I mean, Jet Wilson could not keep Jets on the field. He couldn't keep the offense on the field. Dallas had the ball for more than 42 minutes, and they played 83 plays compared to the Jets' 46 plays. Uh, so, yeah, Wilson. I like, remember seeing a stat where the Cowboys at one point had 49 plays in Jets' territory. The Jets had five plays in Cowboys' territory. Yep. So, yeah, that, that's about as big of a gap as I've ever seen. Yeah, I um, yeah, we'll have to get on Otis Livingston again and uh, ask him what what the thoughts are on the quarterback situation there. If they're talking to anybody, and I would love to see Jameis Winston go to the Jets. I think a lot of people would also love to see Jameis Winston. I think he'd be a great fit. Think with the Jets too, and this has been said by many people so many times: is they don't need an star quarterback they just need somebody that's competent and that can carry the offense and take the offense down the field the defense for the jets is so good and so dominant that they don't need the quarterback to be everything and do everything so even just getting somebody competent would go so far for the jets let's go to 49ers rams uh puka nakua gonna be a star in this league that's my biggest highlight for this game uh, 49ers got the win, but Puka absolutely balled out for the Rams. 15 catches for 147 yards. Um, the fifth round pick uh, last year in the draft, but he put he made a uh, NFL single game record for receptions by a rookie and has a new overall league record with 25 receptions in the first two games. So he's definitely a name to look out for, not just for the Rams, but for the season or for the whole uh, for the whole league. All rushing t- or all touchdowns for San Francisco all came on the ground. One for McCafferty, one for Debo, and actually one for Purdy himself. What other uh, takeaways do you guys have um, from this game? Like I said, rough uh, rough win for the 49ers. Not a, not a. Not a sexy win, pretty ugly. But what other takeaways do you guys want to throw into this game? Uh, for for the takeaways, the Rams are definitely not a are our pesky team, especially on offense with their with this receiver. I think that the Rams are still going to be. I, I think the Rams 
it wasn't the worst loss for them, as uh, as you just said. I think that the Rams are are not. I don't. I don't know if they're a playoff team, but I think they're they're definitely going to contend for a wild card. And I think the I think the Forty ers Purdy's probably a game manager. I know he had a great week last week against the Steelers, but it looks like Brock Purdy to me is he's a good game manager good game manager at quarterback. The running game gets it done. He has good receivers. He has a lot of talent around him on offense and defense. You can't take that away. But I think the Rams the Rams are going to be sneaky. The Rams are going to be a sneaky team as uh as Nakara or what's it or how do you say Nakara? Puka Nukara, I think. Puka Nakara. I think is yeah. going to be a promising receiver for the Rams, and they they do have a couple weapons here and there, and I think the Rams will be will be a pesky team. The Niners, Brock Purdy, is probably a game manager at quarterback. I know he'll, I know he has some good games. I know he had it last week, but I think the that it was a still a good win for the Niners, even though it was a little mm-hmm. little rough and ugly. Christian McCaffrey um, continues to play amazing. Uh, what 20, 20 rushes uh, for 116 yards, and like I said, he had a touchdown as well. Are you guys um, are you guys impressed by the Rams so far? Like we kind of mentioned earlier, uh, blew out Seattle in Week One, and barely lost to arguably the best team in the NFC uh, right now. Are, are you guys are you guys impressed by the Rams? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the Rams have looked pretty solid through their first two games. There's no shame in losing to the 49ers. And, you know, they've got the receiving game figured out without Cooper Cup. They're going to get him back at some point. So I I think the Rams are pesky. I think they could be a team that's ready to contend for a wild card spot. No question about it. And by the way, credit Sean McVay. You can't tell me that he didn't know what the spread was because there's no other reason for him to be kicking that field goal in the last play of the game. He absolutely knew that it was 49ers seven and a half. So good, good for him on getting the cover. Yeah, many uh, many predicted the Rams to be one of the worst teams this year just because they had lack of depth and uh, lack of future assets and picks. But yeah, they're proving people wrong. So good for them. Uh, we'll see how the year kind of turns out for them. Commanders Broncos, second to last game here, talking about uh, in the afternoon slate. Um, yeah, Sam Howell played pretty well. First road game, uh, first road start with Washington led them to the biggest. Uh, second biggest comeback in franchise history. Broncos continue to struggle. Um, yeah, that's really the only takeaways I have from this game. What other what other things do you want to throw into this game besides just pretty ugly overall? Looks what, what Brian Robinson, eighty seven yep. yards, two touchdowns. Looked like a number one mm-hmm. back. Sam Howell's been pretty dependable through his first two games. This is a very underrated Commanders roster. That if Sam Howell can just go out, kind of manage the game or make a couple of plays. You got Terry McLaurin, you've got Antonio Gibson, you've got some real weapons on this team. I think they can be a tough out in the NFC. And uh, how about this for you? This is the first time ever that Sean Payton has ever lost a game due to a non-called pass interference at the very end. And how about this stat for you as well? Russell Wilson has completed a hail mary, and his team lost the game. And he's also thrown a hail mary that got intercepted, and his team won the game. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah. So he had the he had the hail mary at the end of the game, obviously. Uh, they were they weren't able to convert on the two two point conversion. That's which was that, obvious pass interference if they didn't call. Yeah, very yeah. much. 
But no, I forgot about that. Yeah, they had a he had that one a while back where, um, yeah, it, yeah, interception and they lost. The fail, Mary. Uh huh. Uh, Justin, anything for you? You want to bring on to this game? Well, the Broncos continue to be one of the bigger disappointments in the NFL this season so far. I know they they almost got the game to overtime while it was pass interference, but the Broncos are very disappointing. I think they'll be picking in the top ten and. Possibly Russell Wilson will get benched at some point again this coming season. Yeah, Russell Wilson found a new toy in Marvin Mims Jr. Uh, two receptions for 113 yards, so pretty deep balls, and he had a t- he had a touchdown as well. Oh, uh, I think this, if I saw this right, I think this is the first time Broncos have lost back to back home games in franchise history. I could be wrong by that. I, that's what I think I saw earlier, but I wouldn't be surprised either. So, yeah. Uh, like you were saying, Justin, definitely uh, this is definitely not what uh, Sean Payton had in mind when he came to Colorado, and uh, we'll see if the uh, Broncos can turn things around. I doubt it, but hey, we'll see. Last game afternoon slate: Giants Cardinals. Um, Giants, or excuse me, the Cardinals jumped off to a twenty to nothing lead in the first half, but we all know Giants uh, ended up coming back with a really, really impressive. Uh, comeback victory uh biggest comeback win uh since 1949 when the giants overcame a 21 point deficit against the cardinals what 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 else do you guys have from this game that you want to throw in here uh great for the great for the giants barkley played really well unfortunately we he did leave the game injured i think there's still more to come out on his injury and how you know that's going to progress as you know, leading in the next week, week three. But what other uh, major storylines and uh, things that you want to say about this game? Very slow start by the Giants in their offense. They were down twenty to nothing at the half, and they were outscored sixty to nothing through six quarters to start the season. That was one of the most intriguing stats. But I was prepared to say if they were going to lose this game, Daniel Jones is not the future of the Giants. He's not going to win. But I digress a little bit. I think we can leave that off for another day and another time. They came back. Yeah. They won the game 31-28. to Saquon Barkley, that's a big injury. I don't know how long he will be out for just yet with the ankle. It's, it probably will be a sprain, but that is a big loss for the Giants offense. And they're going to need they, – they needed this game because they got to play San Francisco next in San Francisco, and that's going to be a very tough game, especially with the Giants' offensive line, which has been very disappointing. Evan Neal was a top pick last year. So far, he has been a big disappointment. Andrew Thomas didn't play with a hamstring injury, as well as the as well as Matt Kraszewski, who I believe was benched. So the Giants' offensive line has been a disappointment so far to start the year and their offense, but they came back and they won the game. The Cardinals worst team in the league on their hands. They're 0 2. I kind of I expected them to be 0 2 and they just they blew this game out of proportion. Jonathan Gannon, I would not trust him at all with a 20 point lead or a 10 point lead or any type of lead during a game, during a period in the game or season. Yeah, you mentioned 60 points uh, the Giants gave up before finally scoring. And um, yeah, so it, 
according to Sports Radar, uh, a website, a sports stats website, it was the third most points given up before scoring since 1950. Um, Giants, I, I'm not impressed by the Giants at all. That's no surprise. No one really is right now. They basically had to have end game heroics just to beat a really, really bad team. Then we all know they got absolutely manhandled and embarrassed on, uh, you know, last week in prime time against the against the Cowboys. Zach, any other last-minute thoughts before moving on to Sunday Night Football, Dolphins-Patriots? Yeah, congrats to the Cardinals fans on losing this game because now it keeps you in the mix for Caleb Williams. And as yep. far as the Giants are concerned, yeah, I'm not impressed with this team. Saquon being out for a few weeks might be the uh, end of the Giants' run of being competitive this year as far as we can see it because after this they've got the 49ers, they've got the Dolphins, they've got the Bills, They're not, and I just don't see them. Uh, being able to get through that stretch. I think they may be out of the playoff race before uh, mid-October. Dolphins-Patriots, Sunday night football. Mac Jones continues to play well. He's actually playing really well, but Patriots still can't win. That's my biggest takeaway. Then Raheem Mostert also going off on Sunday night. Pair of touchdown runs. It carried the ball 18 times for 121 yards. For the Dolphins, what other uh, what other takeaways do you guys have from Sunday Night Football? The Patriots are a tough out. The Patriots are a tough out. They gave Philadelphia a tough run last week, only losing by five points. And the Dolphins, they only lost them by seven points. Both of these games were decided by a review by the ref by the referees. Obviously, last week the receiver couldn't get his second foot in bounds, and then. They couldn't get the first down because Secchi tried it with the offensive lineman, but I still think that uh, I still think the Patriots are going to be a scrappy team. They they gave Philadelphia a run in the Dolphins. Those two teams are probably going to be contenders in their respective conferences. The Dolphins right now two and zero, leading the AFC East, winning their first two games on the road at Los Angeles and at New England. They're, they're coming home to play the Broncos, which I think is going to be an easy out for them. The, the Dolphins look like they're in great position right now. It's going to be between them and Buffalo in a dogfight for the AFC East, it looks like. Yeah, the Dolphins, I think, you win their first two games on the road. You beat the Chargers and you beat the Patriots. You beat two pretty good teams. I think this is a statement for Miami. And the way that they won the first game and the way they won this game were different. You know, they want a shootout. That's the kind of win we expect the Dolphins to have whenever they're beating good teams. They beat the Patriots playing a physical kind of football yesterday. Their defense really stepped up for the most part. Their offensive line got it done. And the running game got going. You know, I thought it was going to be tough for this team to be able to go far this year without a great running game and without much defense. Well, they showed both of those things yesterday. Tua had a solid game. Yesterday's win makes me a more of a believer in the Dolphins and beating the Chargers. I think this team right now is the favorite in the AFC East. The Patriots, I think, are going to be in for a rough season, mostly because of their schedule. I think this is a good team. But you're playing in that division, and you're going to have to play the NFC East. Things are going to be tough for the Patriots because their defense is good enough to keep them in games. Their offense is not good enough to win those games. Yeah. Um, worst start for the New England Patriots, 0-2 since 2001. Um, so, yeah, not a, not a good start for the Patriots whatsoever. I think they ended up – yeah, they ended up winning – no. I was going to say they did not win the Super Bowl that year. That was the next year that they won. But that also was with, with Tom Brady. Yeah, like I said, worst start to a season since 2001. That was uh, Bill Belichick's, I think, second year coaching the team. All right, guys, last week 
week three, college football. Biggest takeaway, I mean, the biggest game to talk about, Alabama struggles majorly against USF. Uh, all quarterbacks, Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, and Tyler Buckner, all played for Alabama so far this year. Really didn't do anything for the team, didn't really produce much, and Alabama still has been struggling this entire year. Alabama out of the top 10 is, for the first time in eight years. Five, they cannot find an – Alabama just cannot seem to find a identity. I mean, what what do you guys think is their biggest problem right now? Do you think it's the quarterback situation, or do you think there's something else going on with the Tide that they got to figure out uh, as I the season the progresses? I think it's the offensive line. The offensive line is not good. They can't push people off the line of scrimmage. They can't protect whoever's playing quarterback right now. And luckily for Alabama, last week Jalen Milrow was mobile. At least he could get away from a couple of them. Uh, Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson are kind of stiffs back there. So the offensive line's problem showed up even more in this game. The wide receiver play is just not all that great. We're usually expected to see great receivers at Alabama, and none of them really provide a whole lot of separation. To me, this is a whole lot more dispiriting than losing to Texas because Texas is a good team. USF, they were 34-point favorites. This is a game you don't see Saban struggle in very often. And they had to score a late touchdown with under 30 seconds left just to make the score 17-3. to This offense is not very good right now. Alabama might be out of the national championship mix after next week when they play Ole Miss. And that would be the first time Alabama is not in national title discussions after the month of September since Saban took the job after his first year in 2007, which would be remarkable. And they got to play against Ole Miss, who's ranked number 15th uh, this coming Saturday at home. I thought almost thought that game was on the road, but Bama has not been impressive to start off this year. Even mm-hmm. though they're number 13, they're still ranked, obviously, they're Alabama, but this is not an impressive start for Nick Saban and this offense in general. Georgia struggles as well. Um, I mean, they, they won, obviously, just like Alabama did. But uh, South Carolina, I think, is a better team than many people thought. But this game just showed that Carson Beck is definitely not Stetson Bennett. Uh, Spencer Rattler uh, played really well for South Carolina. Just shows you, SEC, tough conference, hard to win in it. And, um, yeah, even a game that you should blow a team out, just like Alabama and Georgia this past week, teams can surprise you. And uh, my biggest takeaway, like I said, Georgia definitely misses Stetson Bennett. And it's pretty evident on the field when they play on Saturdays. What other takeaways do you guys have from this game real fast in Georgia? Yeah, I don't know. The, the powers of college football this year are kind of vulnerable. Clemson's already lost. Alabama's already lost. Ohio State's had stretches that they've looked okay, not great, but they dominate Western Kentucky Saturday. And Georgia, their first uh, three, three, yeah, three games, not looking like the number one team. And that's why I've always said we should not – ranked teams until October because Georgia right now should not be the number one ranked team. It should be Texas. You know, Florida State almost lost the other day against Boston College, but at least they got a signature win against LSU. And you're looking at Georgia. We're not going to really know how good they are until, I don't know, November, because Georgia's schedule is not good. So they can kind of sleepwalk through these kind of games, and we still don't know how great they are. The running game struggled. Defense didn't play all that great in the first half. Carson Beck, you know, he'll grow into the role. I don't really have a whole lot of doubt about that, but they've got a new offensive coordinator as well. Georgia is a little shaky, but the schedule is going to allow them to be up until November or so when they got to play at Tennessee, which all of a sudden doesn't look nearly as uh, daunting because Tennessee got blown out by Florida too. Another semi-power, Tennessee. Yeah, like you just said, Zach, did get, uh, they, they lost to Florida this weekend. Um, they're out of the – they're definitely out of the – 
playoff contention now after this loss. Um, it just kind of shows you, I mean, SEC home games are different environments. The Florida fan base at Ben Hill made a tremendous impact on Milton in the game. Um, you know, like I said, Milton just wasn't able to really do much for Tennessee. Florida has a flashy running back, uh, Trevor Etienne's, uh, which is Travis Etienne's brother, had a game of his life with 23 rushes for 172 yards and one touchdown. Yeah, I mean, what other any other takeaways before moving on between Tennessee and Florida? Bad loss for Tennessee. Yeah, bad loss. Joe Milton, everybody loves that he can throw the ball 100 yards or so, but the problem is he doesn't throw them very accurate. You know, there was one pass that I saw the other day. I stepped out of the room for a minute, and he rolls to his left and throws the ball completely back to his right, right to a Florida defender who could have made a fair catch on it. So I didn't even realize Tennessee had the ball. I thought thought it was a punt. That's how bad the interception was. And so, you know, Florida just ran downhill against them. Tennessee still hasn't won there since 2003, and it looks like last year might have been a one-year wonder for Tennessee as far as getting their excitement back. They kind of got humbled again. This week, Florida, Billy Napier really needed the signature win. I still don't think they're all that great, but that's a win that will at least quiet the detractors, at least for a little bit. Yeah, Joe Milton definitely is not living up to the hype. Uh, people thought he would be definitely not a Hendon Hooker uh, from last year. He's not filling the shoes nearly as well as uh, people thought that he was going to this year. Real fast, Florida State. Struggles against Boston College. Uh, Boston College was playing their red bandana game. I'm not really sure mm-hmm. what that means. I just know that's a really emotional it's game. For, for a BC. former Boston College lacrosse player who went into the Twin Towers on 9-11 and saved people's lives. Oh, all right. Well, yeah, that's great for Boston College. I mean, they it showed out. There were definitely a lot of emotion come with that game, and they were ready to play against Florida State, and Florida State almost ended up losing that game. Mm-hmm. Uh Jordan Travis still showed why he is a true Heisman candidate. I mean, he played so well on Saturday, 212 yards for two touchdowns. Uh, any other big takeaways from this game before we've been on the Kansas State, Missouri real fast? No. All yeah, right. it's just one of those where sometimes you get a game that sneaks up on you. Florida State's looking ahead to Clemson next week. Nobody thinks Boston College is any good because they lost to Northern Illinois. And Boston College, we should have known, their quarterback's last name was Castellanos, Castellanos. So we should have known that there was something going on. And I was waiting to find out some tragedy or something. But no, just had a couple of deep drives in the left field. But Boston College was able to survive in that game. They hung around and, you know, they didn't commit 17 penalties no matter what. And so if you're Florida State, you leave that game a little bit concerned. But this is why college football is always hard to predict because you can look great one week and then the next week you got a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds that are unmotivated or they're kind of looking ahead to a future endeavor and they almost got beat and it snuck up on them but you win they won the game and you move on kansas state missouri my last game i really want to touch on uh before last thoughts in college this week sec record longest field goal was 61 yards by the missouri kicker harrison melvis to win the game and beat kansas state um missouri uh pretty good mizzou hasn't been this good since the drew lock days uh definitely impressing 3-0 record now just barely missing the rankings uh i mean they should be in the top 25 if they win next week they definitely will be in the top 25 they can make some noise in the sec west for sure um the hectic SEC West at that. Any other other takeaways from this game before moving on, guys? I Uh, knew this was going to be a close game in the SEC. I think that uh, Kansas State was, yeah, Kansas State was ranked 15th, and they'd lost this game. It was another big upset. 
in college football. Not, almost, almost a few upsets against ranked teams, but I expected this to be a close game, as I said on uh, on Saturday on our show. Yep, sixty-one yard field goal to win a wow. game. Does it get more badass than that? Yeah, for a college kicker, nonetheless. That's, I mean, NFL. That's becoming actually kind of not not common by any means, but um, yeah. for a college kicker, that's just amazing. So yeah, uh, Harrison Melvis, uh, Mevis, I think is how you pronounce his last name. New week's resolution, guys. Uh, who, Zach, who is your new week's resolution of this week, past week? New, my new week's resolution, please, please, whatever you do, put your Saturday aside and watch college football this weekend. My gosh, we've got some unbelievable games. Ohio State, Notre Dame in prime time is going to be great. Iowa, Penn State is going to be great. You got Colorado against USC, UCLA, Utah, Oregon State, Washington State. It is a stacked lineup. You've got six ranked on ranked matchups. This might be the best college football Saturday of the season, or at least it's going to be up there. And especially with the Ohio State Notre Dame game, one of those teams is going to walk away as a serious national championship contender coming out of that game. And of course, anytime you can get Colorado involved, and now you've got them on the road against the top 10 Oregon team, the hype is going to be on overdrive. I cannot wait for it. You got Shadur Sanders against Bo Nix. This is going to be an incredible lineup of college football this weekend. Make sure you put aside your Saturday. Don't do the apple picking. You know, if your girlfriend or your uh, your boyfriend in some cases, or, you know, because women love football too. But if they ask you to do something, nah, not this weekend. Yeah, my new week's resolution. Uh, I said last week how Alabama needs the bench, uh, bench Jalen Milrow. I'm going to actually take that back and revert to saying I think Alabama needs to start Milrow. I think he's had the best he's had the best start so far. Um, not the best option out of the three. I mean, he is the best. I mean, unfortunately, he is the best option out of the three quarterbacks. Still not the greatest. Uh, he struggled tremendously against uh, a good Big 12 Texas team. Uh, 255 yards for two interceptions, though. Yeah, I'm going to go with. They, they have to start Milrow again. Unfortunately, I think he is going to be the guy for Alabama going forward. Not the best quarterback, uh, but he's the best that they have out of the three options. And, yeah, that's my new week's, new week's resolution. Saban, start uh, Milrow and uh, hopefully get Alabama's ship on the right track here. Justin, who is your new week's resolution? My new week's resolution, a bit of a positive and a negative. First, the negative for the NFL. They should get rid of Thursday night football. They should scrap. Thursday night football. I know the contract with Amazon is big on Prime Video, but it's. I, I think that there should be a doubleheader, and that's the positive with Monday night football here with weeks two and three. I think it should be the whole season that the NFL goes with a doubleheader on Monday night football instead of a Thursday night game. I think it's better for the players, it's better for the fans, and it's so much better for teams to just prepare Instead of just, you know, yeah. four days, you're, you're off the, you know, off the beaten path, basically. You got to you got to play on Sunday and then you got three or four days to prepare for your Thursday night game. So Monday night football should have two games. And I think that's a positive that the NFL is doing. It's weird that they're doing it in weeks two and three because they always did it in the first week of the season, which I think they should do every week instead of Thursday night football. So you'd have to give one of the Monday night games to Amazon because they're not just going to be like, nah, we're out. True. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't mind that. Yeah. It's, um, 
it just it's a bad product because the teams like you said justin just can't prepare as much and they're it, you can see it too i mean the games yeah. are just not as good uh not only do the teams that they showcase on thursday night football not good matchups but you can tell the play is just not even that good either because the teams just have that much less time to compare or to prepare they're still sore too you can you can oh, yeah. clearly mm-hmm. tell they're still sore the speed's not there the strength's just not there it's just a, it's just a bad product overall nfl getting a little bit too uh too greedy uh with thursday night football yeah that's why i think that's contributing to some of the rust with Jalen Hurts and the Eagles passing offense. Then the first half, yeah. that was a close game. And second half, they picked it up. But I think that's a contrib. I think that contributes to why to why the the Eagles are starting off the way they are. Not terribly, mm-hmm. but definitely not. But definitely with Thursday night football, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. That's for sure. All right, guys, move on to our interview now with Brian Scheibel. Uh Colorado, like I said in the beginning of the show, 3-0. and Great uh, great um, victory against their rival, in-state rivals, Colorado State, uh, on Saturday night. Double overtime victory, scrappy win for them. Uh, Colorado turning a lot of heads so far, um, you know, in their last year in the uh, Pac-12 here. Uh, yeah, but... I, I'm, we're going to talk to him. Great interview with him. Get his thoughts on Colorado. What has changed? Um, why are they, you know, having just success that they're having, and what they need to keep doing in order to uh, continue on this path? So, yeah. Without any uh, further ado, let's bring on Brian Scheibel. Okay, we now talk to recurring guest Brian Scheibel from Buffs Beat uh, SI Magazine for co- covering the Colorado Buffaloes. Uh, Brian, we had to have you on again. We had you on about a month ago as a prelude to the season, talking a lot about the Pac-12 and the conference realignments going on in college football, and then, of course, Colorado heading into the season. I think even you would say you're pretty surprised about how Colorado started this season. Uh, I want to start with this first question concerning them. Last weekend, obviously, Saturday night, nail-biter, double overtime victory that they were able to pull off against a team that they arguably they they are better than their in-state rivals, Colorado State. They were, you know, they struggled against them. Like I said, barely squeaked on a victory in double overtime. Does this victory for Colorado is this a good look for them or a bad look for them? Being able to win against a tough opponent, uh, being able to you know get a grimy win, um, is this a, a better look for Colorado or does this kind of make uh, you know put them down a peg, uh, struggling against a, a worse opponent this past weekend? Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting and, and part of a, a bigger conversation with them. Um, you know, going into this going into this year, I think we talked about this even a month ago. I I thought there was a realistic chance that they would, you know, outright win at TCU and you know, and I thought I, I thought two and one or three and oh to start was 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 likely. Um, just thinking about it. But the way they went about it, it's kind of unusual. I didn't think the blowout against Nebraska and then the, the, you know, really, like you said, a nail-biting win against Colorado State. I think it's a great look for Shador Sanders. I mean, for to be able to pull out a game that you were just just dead. In. I mean, at this point in the fourth quarter, and and find a way to get those two-point conversions, get that. So I think I think that was good. I think it does answer a little bit of the question of just how much depth this team has, and maybe it's not nearly as much as 
they had hoped for, especially when you try to turn over that many pieces in one um, mm-hmm. in in one season. So, I mean, I'm certainly not too optimistic of the chances the next couple of weeks, but I think securing those first few wins is a big step towards, you know, finding a way into a bowl, which I think would be a major accomplishment. Yeah, next two weekends, obviously, they play, they play Oregon. Um, they're, I think it's a 20, they're 21, 21 point underdogs against Oregon this weekend, similar to how they were with TCU. And then next weekend, they play US, um, USC. So um, if they even get one of those two wins, if they get they can squeak one of those two wins against Oregon or USC, are we talking about Cal, uh, Colorado potentially being close to the top 10? I mean, if they were able, especially if they can beat USC, are, they, are we thinking of uh, maybe Colorado being a top 10 team after week, uh, what would that be, five? Or four, six, I mean. Yeah, well, I guess it depends, right? Because they'll probably drop them Mm -hmm. out of it if they lose this weekend. Or maybe they'll do it 25th or something like that, uh, depending on how the game goes. And then if they bounce back, I'm sure they'll be back into the teens at least. Um, I think I've been looking at it more from a, is there a path to the Pac-12 championship, you know, for them? And I I think they would have to at least split these to get there. I think the the two weeks after is um, Stanford, who just I mean that guy really lost to the school he just coached the Sacramento State, the uh, you know which is pretty brutal, and Arizona State, who I think are I think are terrible as well. So I, I feel like they're going to be five and two, no matter what. But um, if they could be six and one, then they're yeah I think that they probably would be. So I think we probably I think top ten could happen at six and one. Uh, going into UCLA at the end of October. Um, but if they get to smash these next two weeks, then they probably are who we think they are, you know, and, and uh, probably know what to expect on later games against Washington, Oregon State. You know, those are going to be real tough ones on the line. It's crazy how good the Pac-12 is this year in, the, in its yeah. final season. Um, do you – last year, Colorado started 1-11. Um, the fans – let's talk about the fans' perspectives a little bit on Colorado mm-hmm. – I mean, you cover them a lot, talk to them a lot with your reporting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously they're ecstatic with how Colorado started this season. They're 3-0 right now. Yeah. I mean, are they just shocked or are they more just like happy about the outcome? Like what is what is like what is the fan base really saying about this start uh, with their team? I mean, they were not expecting this. I don't think anyone in the media was expecting this, especially even the fans. Mm. I mean, a bowl game alone was a huge successful season for Colorado, and it looks like they're well on their way to sure. getting that. So this is just, you know, blowing out of proportion just the expectations that Colorado Colorado had, excuse me. So just tell me, like, mm-hmm. put me in the mindset of the fan base uh, this, these first three weeks of college football. Yeah, they, they're they like really nothing that they've seen at that school. Um, I mean, maybe they were pretty crazy back in the early 90s when they you know, were competing for championships and, and won one of them. But nothing that, you know, most of the people in the crowd – would have would have witnessed before a lot of new fans, a lot of Dion fans, um, you know, in particular. I don't know if you know just how loyal they'll be uh, if if and when he were to leave ever. Which I'm, I'm yeah starting to starting to get the more and more the impression that this that's not really on his radar because I think he's was offered bigger jobs than this one. I think this one you know became just so so appealing because of the control and things that he'd have available to him. But I, I do think, yeah, I think, I think the fan base is, is thrilled. And if these top recruits are really into this and they all seem to be visiting nonstop, I mean, they're, they're going to have quite 
the team, you know, the next few years. How have the fans reacted to Deion Sanders as the head coach? There's like some, I think it's like a $45 million buyout or something like that. It, it, you know, so there, there is outrageous numbers. Um, he, he's, but every coach says the right thing. I mean, he says, I'm not interested in this, I'm not interested in that. Um, you know, I, I tend to believe that if things were to mend a little bit between him and Florida State, that would, might be the one job that he, that he would leave for. I don't, I don't think he's leaving for some random SEC school because, like I said, I think he's already been offered that twice. Is he under contract, so. Deion Sanders? So is, he yeah. can't leave after this year if he wanted to, could he? Mm-hmm. Oh, they love him. I mean, and we see it in certain things like the rallying around just to support support him, support his ventures, like the sunglasses story from this week with selling a million whatever dollars in sunglasses, you know, things he's associated with. And that that's what I think is special about the situation he has right now is that he has an opportunity to make a ton of money at the school, but also outside the school, and they're they're perfectly you know supportive of him doing that. I don't know if that'd be the same freedom everywhere else. And so, yeah, I I, I think, and I think the expectations are you know even even if they fall apart this year and they go five and seven, let's say that you know they lose a game they shouldn't lose, Arizona State something like that. I don't think people are going to be a lot upset at all. I think they're just like, hey, you know, we'll, we'll get them next year. We're good. <laughs> That's kind of the vibe you get. Yeah, and so you kind of alluded to it already. That was kind of the reason why Colorado was such a big landing spot for Deion Sanders. He had a lot mm-hmm. of freedom, a lot more freedom at Colorado, it sounds like, than what he would have had at other schools that might have offered him the job. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that correct? Like he, he liked that freedom. It sounds like Colorado is really allow, allowing him to run the team that, the way he wants to run the team allowing him to pursue outside ventures, really just a lot of freedom for Dion. And, and that's kind of a reason why uh, he's, he wanted to go there and, and also a reason why he's probably not going to, probably not going to leave. But if he was going to leave, it sounds like a school would have to basically buy out his contract for him to go over to that, to that school. Is that correct? Is that what I got from that, what you said? Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 they made it in a way where it's going to be very, very costly, um, you know, because again, it's going to be a dramatic revenue hit and everything if that were to happen um and so i think that's why you know they're trying to create the best situation for him that he you know he wants to be there you know i think there's potential i know i know like for example both his sons have another year of eligibility well shador has multiple years but even shiloh has another year he graduated early enough and so those guys have a chance to make seven figures plus next year themselves. I think Shador is already doing that this year. Shiloh might be able to get some bigger, bigger um, money soon, the way it's going in his play. So I think, um, you know, from that standpoint, they, they'd love to probably keep this going. Travis Hunter obviously has to come back at least one more year as a true sophomore, so he couldn't go pro even if he wanted to. And um, there's just, yeah, there's just opportunities all around for for everybody and so i i don't i don't see that necessarily he's never said explicitly that's what he wants but just in kind of reading through the lines comfort happiness things like that matter to him uh i think more so than chasing every last dollar at least from the school perspective yeah um is so what is the is there any possibility they can't go to the pros next year then uh shander uh can they can they go to the pros next year or are they not eligible for the for the draft yet Shador would be eligible. Hunter's not. Shiloh is. Um, it's just, but you know, it's it's just a question of what, where where his interests lie. And uh, mm-hmm. 
and uh, you know, it's 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 a fascinating discussion. I mean, it's a different discussion than we're having now. But like, you look at some uh, off topic, but like Sam Hartman this year, you know, and the kind of money he's making in at Notre Dame. You know, you wonder if quarterbacks more and more are going to be in a, in a situation where maybe staying an extra year gives you that security money uh, that, you know, because you could bomb out in the pros. You never know. I mean, you look at some, even some mm-hmm. draft picks only the last couple of years. So Shador has a chance to get gigantic dollars in college next year, even if he was a top five, 10 pick. Maybe it's maybe it's still worth it. Stay another yeah. one. We'll see. So uh, that's an interesting point, actually. So you can you can you see a lot more quarterbacks. You expect a lot more quarterbacks to be staying now in college with the NIL money. Over the next five years, you think we're going to be seeing a lot more quarterbacks yeah. staying in college, maybe the whole term, maybe the whole four or five years uh, because of the NIL money. And that's a good point that you made. It does kind of give that safety blanket. Um, of, you know, If they're good enough where they can make enough NIL money, it really does give them that kind of um, safety blanket for if they do go to the pros and bottom out. Uh, so you think so there's no indication as of right now that Shander – uh, is going to go to the draft. Like you, you just have no idea as at this point what his what his intentions are. Yeah, I I think some of it. I I really think that, and I'm speculating here, but you know they put so much out there in the public on film that you can kind of speculate on on some things behind the scenes that they're not revealing. I if the if this trend continues that Shador is a top five pick type of thing. That keeps on going around, and they get more and more interest from not only 2025 but some 2024 top draft picks, or I mean top recruits. You know that maybe will turn into draft picks a few years later. You know that may be part of it as well, um, but we'll we'll see. But I, I I get the sense though with Shador, if it's if we're talking unknown, if it's like a Will Levis situation, you know, from this past year where you know some people are picking up number two and then he get one second round. He he probably would be upset that he left if he if he ever fell to you know late first early second something like that. But if if they know for sure it's a done deal, then um, yeah, I could I could picture him if he's going to be the top one or two quarterback uh, uh, leaving at that point. Especially if they end this yeah. with a bowl, mm-hmm. you know, a bowl game and everything like that for this year, which seems. Do you think to be his dad headed. being there has any indication? Like, do you think his dad being there has any weight on whether or not he would stay or not? Or does that not? Have, does that completely not matter? Yeah, I think, I think the you know I think Coach uh, Prime would say no on that one, but I I do feel that that's important, yeah. and he even admitted it in the post game press conference uh, this past week, and I hadn't heard him say this too often, and I'm pretty much watched every press conference that he's done, but he's like, he said he had a few dad moments in that game. Cool. Yeah. Which he doesn't always say. So I thought that was pretty good. And he was referring to you know both his sons' performances. I mean, they, I mean, think about that game. I mean, they, like, without them, it's they literally you know won that thing pretty much by themselves. Yeah. Um, what is the chances of Shander winning the Heisman this year? I mean, obviously he's been playing amazing. Twelve, fifteen yards. Yeah. Uh, twelve, uh, twelve, one thousand two hundred and fifteen yards. Completion rating of just below eighty. 10 touchdowns, only one interception. I mean, what – I mean, he's just not – Colorado's still not that high level of a school where, you know, he's going to be competing against someone like Caleb Williams, who obviously is a top mm-hmm. five school right now. Colorado might – you know, hopefully they're ranked at the end of the year. Hopefully they make even a bowl game. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But, I mean, what does he have to do to get to that Heisman 
level. I mean, his odds are now at 2,000. They definitely have improved since the season started, and there's no surprise about that. But just going on in the season, I mean, what would you say if you can pinpoint it? What does he really have to do yeah. to kind of be a true contender in that conversation for Heisman? Yeah, well, definitely, you know, staying healthy for one. Um, I mean, for all the wrong reasons now, he with Travis Hunter probably missing four games. Um, I know it's been reported it's three, but they have four and then a bye week, and it just seems to make too much sense mm-hmm. for him not to, to to keep him out that extra week. So most likely he's out for four, I would imagine. Uh, hopefully not beyond that. So what he does outside of Travis Hunter time is going to, I think, be important to you know kind of display just how much you know growth there is at quarterback for him. I think. I know the team record is not supposed to factor into this, but when you look at who's won it, especially in the last couple of decades, I don't think anyone's ever won that award um, who didn't go like nine and three or better. I think eight and four, and I like eight and four record for the team. That's a good benchmark for him because that means they would have beaten a couple of teams that you would say maybe they, they weren't, you know, favored to go in there and, and, and knock off. I mean, if they have, he needs a couple Heisman type moments, you know, beating USC at home or something like that would be like a signature moment. And I think even Oregon State, Washington, you know, those ones would be, um, could, could be really important for him too. I, so I, I think the numbers, whatever they're going to work out to be, I mean, it's probably going to have to take close to 40 touchdowns. That's what he did last year. Keep the interceptions to, you know, five or six or something like that. I think he's at mm-hmm. one right now. So, um, that you know, I think that would be important. I think, I think this in terms of him as a as a quarterback and development trophy or not, you know, I think I think they'd like they'd like to see him be able to get out of a little bit more trouble when the when the when things are closing in on the backfield. So if he figures out a way to kind of do more, maybe do more with his feet and put up some nice numbers there, I think all that could help. So as it well. sounds like so. just to kind of make a synopsis of what you said, it sounds like he's on. What he's doing number-wise, it sounds like he's on pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, definitely on yeah. pace for those 40 touchdowns you said. Definitely on pace for five, six interceptions. Uh, I mean, obviously, like I said, his yard, his passing yardage is amazing. It sounds like to you the two things he could be doing mm-hmm. right now to help his chances is, A, Colorado keep winning. Like I said, they're already on, obviously yeah. on pace doing that. And maybe having some more rushing, like rushing more. If he could rush more, maybe have some nice rushing highlights. Uh, ESPN top 10 kind of plays, uh, breakout plays. That, that's going to really, that's what he needs to be doing kind mm-hmm. of now, being more in the in the, in the highlight reel, as as they say, to, to really help his chances uh, come end of the year to, to win the Heisman. Yeah, I think just overall, you know, points, productivity has one rushing touchdown right now. You know, if he could, if he could find a way to, you know, do that. And, and, and by doing that, if he, if he gets the 40 touchdowns, I'm guessing that they win more mm-hmm. than six games. Just, just because the way it would turn out. I mean, unless they're into a couple of shootouts that they that they lose somehow. So I, I think really pro- probably, you know, one thing is probably going to lead to the other. Um, and so that's, you know, that's where we just got to monitor uh, with him. And then, of course, staying healthy because he does tend to get hit quite a bit. He does get sacked quite a bit. And so, you know, if, if something caused him to lose time, that's probably going to lose it. I do think, though, if, it, if things are equal – and it's up against him and Caleb Williams, I think he's got it. Because I, if you look at just how Heisman voters have scrutinized the 
uh, winners in the past, and we've only had one that never won it twice. It seems like the, the standard is really high for a repeat winner. And um, so, I mean, Williams is going to have to really blow people away. And I, I think maybe USC has to run the table for him not to lose votes uh, in, that, in that, you know, that setup. So and if they're certainly capable of doing it, that may very well happen. But I think that's that they're going to hold him to it. You know, they're going to raise the bar in terms of uh, giving it to Caleb again. He's going to get a lot of second and third place votes, I think, from some voters sure. who just insist on, uh, you know, they, they, they want to spread the, the wealth on this trophy. I want to go back to something you said earlier in the interview about the potential mm-hmm. of maybe Colorado kind of falling out a little bit. Um, obviously, 3-0 mm-hmm. right now, great start of the season. Is there any indication of Colorado kind of like flaming out uh, either from inside the team itself or from the media like yourself that cover them pretty closely? Is it is there kind of this feeling of, hey, like this isn't sustainable, what they're doing, like with, with what they have, the talent they have, and just like there's, you know, the personnel that they have. Like, is there any indication of just people saying like, hey, this is this can't continue all year. This has to mm-hmm. this fairy tale run has to kind of uh, flame out eventually. No, I wouldn't say there there is. I, I think I think we always tend to anyone's following it, and this is the closest I've ever followed a team. Um, you know, to really know like the inner workings of it. And I mean, I've covered a lot of football for a long, long time, but haven't been as plugged into like you know wondering you know where this backup safety is and why isn't he playing right now? Like the way I do with Colorado. So I feel like those guys in the locker room. And the guys that we work with, who we have Jordan Dominic, who has a show with Buff Speed. And so we, we hear from him. He's on weekly, and he's having a great year. They all feel like they can win. I just think, like, as college football fans, you just, and, I, and I know we always got to remember not to, not to analyze things just based on the uniform because there's real people inside there, 18 to 22, and they react certain ways. But... This this just feels like a tough spot, right? Going into Outson Stadium in, in Eugene. I mean, like this would be tough for anybody in any year, you know, this game. And so you wonder about that. I, I also think if I'm a USC fan, they're probably like, oh, I'm going to walk into a sold-out Colorado two weeks from now. And even though USC appears to be better, you know, you don't, you don't know what you're going to get because the environment in Colorado is going to be crazy for everybody. Oregon State's going to face that. They, they, they're not used to probably facing those kind of crowds down the line. So I think I think it's 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 too simplistic to just say Colorado 3 and 0, they'll be 3 and 2 soon here soon. They'll be 5 and 2 2 weeks later. It may turn out that way, but I you know, the beauty of the sport is there's going to be surprises, you know, and who who knows where they're coming from. I want to move on to the Pac-12. Uh, Pac-12 yeah. on its last years. We talked about this last, or you know, last mm. month too. A lot, of, a lot of what we talked about mm. when we had you on a month ago was the conference realignments that we saw before the season started. Mm. Pac-12. I mean, I, I'll just start with a pretty general question for you right now, and we can kind of go in more in depth from there. But is Pac-12 the best conference right now in the league? Do you think? <laughs> it might be. I mean, that's. Um... Yeah, we, we think of just how deep they are. It's just such an unusual year. Like, if this was a 12 team playoff year, I think Pac 12 would have a legitimate shot at the, at, the, at the title because they probably would get at least two teams into that. And at least I'd put them in the mix. As it turns out now, you know, if they get a loss, they might still be kept out of the top, you know, the top four just because it seems like historically the Pac 12 is 
has not been given the benefit of the doubt that you know some other conferences seem to get. But yeah, I mean Washington, Oregon State, um, you know, are both like really really good teams. I, I Oregon again, I, I'm pretty sure they're they're good. The same way Oregon and Utah I have a little bit more questions about, but and then you know not even talking about USC. So I mean, it seems like right now there is a legitimate eight you know teams that are in the in the top twenty five and. Yeah, I can't think of any other conference right now where I could I could clearly say, um, you know, they're 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 better. I think the Washington State Wisconsin game gave us a little peek about kind of what you know what they're made of. I think, um, uh, you know, so I, I you know if, I was a little surprised by that one, just kind mm-hmm. of the overall outcome with that. But if Washington State is that deep, and we haven't even talked about them, um, you know, I, I'd say yeah, top to bottom. I mean, the bottom three are pretty bad. That's but but the, you know if you just get, discount those um, those top eight or nine they're about as solid as you can get that's certainly the best top eight or nine in the country yeah they're thirty one and five I believe if I did my math right thirty one and five yeah. as a conference and two of those losses I are from Arizona State from one school and then the other loss is from a yeah. you know a Stanford loss that they shouldn't have they shouldn't even have lost that's, that yeah. game really so I mean they yeah I think it might actually be in. I'm not sure if you know this answer or not, but it might actually be the best. I mean, so far in non-conference play, it might actually be the best uh, win percentage out of any conference right now. Yeah, it was undefeated. I know through through week one and the week two, I think there were only two losses. The Stanford loss is, is on par with if if Colorado had scheduled Jackson State this year and. It lost to them because you had the coach, you know, coming from Sacramento State, taking players, taking staff, taking everything. And I don't know whether that game was scheduled in advance or I had never looked into it. And then, and then they go and lose to it. I'm like, I'm like that is just mind mind blowing to me. I mean, I, you'll see an FCS loss every year, but you don't usually see that situation. So uh, it was really surprising. It just tells you how far Stanford has fallen. Um, and then you know now they're they're still headed to the ACC, I, I suppose. But um, unless that falls apart, which sure seems like it's not going to, and that they are going to be headed there for sure. But um, yeah, just really overall though, if you discount the two uh, the two Arizona schools and Stanford at least this year, Cal, you know, a little bit questionable. Uh, the other eight though have just been on fire and uh, have found a way to win, especially Colorado in a game where they. It was lost, and they, they somehow pulled it out. Also, we have teams leaving leaving next year, and um, that's going to mm. make this question a little bit different. But it's just, I mean, yeah. th- if this season for the Pac-12 continues on the way it is, like you said, there's eight teams currently in the top 25 right now, mm. which is which is amazing. Yeah. Is this going to have any weight next year or in the coming years for the Pac-12 as far as, you know, their place in the in the college football landscape, um, them being able to stay around a little bit, giving them some weight to kind of hang their hat on to maybe say, hey, look at us. We actually are kind of contenders. We are a conference to mess around with. We shouldn't mm-hmm. be disbanded. We should actually, you know, what, what are your thoughts? Like, is this going to help the Pac-12 going forward this, this kind of year, and if, especially if they're able to continue this success? Yeah, possibly. I mean, um, like the – the one rumor that was going around was that the Mountain West uh, might actually end up, you know, running the, a ver- you know, the, they might go with the name Pac-12 because mm-hmm. of maybe the, 
I don't know how they weight the, the value of the intellectual property or whatever with that that name, but um, it, it, you know if, if they end up rebuilding something where it's basically the Mountain West is done done away with, and it's those teams, it's Oregon State, it's Washington State, it's maybe even a couple more, and they kind of put something together. Um, yeah, they, they might they might keep that, and and that that name would still mean something, you know, where you know where. Um, it, as opposed to just have it just disappear entirely. So, yeah, I, I think um, probably the the greatest the greatest success of, of this season, whether it's individual awards or, or team accomplishments, yeah, that's all going to probably factor into to the yeah. a, a really wild decision that they have ahead yeah, of themselves. Yeah, it's just a shame. I mean, you think you figure if they the Pac-12 would have just been able to maybe be a little bit less greedy and just got a TV deal. Things might be a whole lot different. Pac-12 might not be leaving. Uh, they might be staying around. And, uh, you know, in the next three, four, five years to come, we would be having a different conversation about the Pac-12 potentially staying staying in the league. So, yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I say the Stanford, and, the Stanford and Cal one it kind of bothers me the most because I, I feel like even with just those four teams, it feels more legit. If um, if they did incorporate something like the Mountain West merger, uh, I I really don't understand why Stanford and Cal were, were that anxious to to move on. Uh, to to me, I think that they'd be better served, um, you know, hanging around. But yeah. like I said, even this, the the traveling uh, part of it alone is yeah. uh, is just a factor too. Yeah. Um, well, Brian, this has been. Uh, Awesome. I really appreciate your time. Any any mm. last minute college football thoughts you wanna any good takes you wanna bring out to us or about the about the Pac twelve in general, Colorado? I mean predictions or any floor is yours. Anything you wanna kind of say in last minute thoughts here before we move on? Yeah, well I I, I was just actually writing something up now, so I'll tell you kind of what I've been what I've been working on. Uh, the I'm kinda was thinking about like the path to the bowl game for for uh, Colorado and so like in, in my mind going into the season I thought that the toss-up games if you will were um, Nebraska and TCU uh, along with Washington State and UCLA so pretty much you know a, four, a quarter of the schedule so they, they won two of the games that they I thought were kind of tough mm-hmm. you know at this point I also thought that the, the four games that they should absolutely win were the two Arizonas Arizona State and Arizona Colorado State um, you know, and, and so they, we'll see what happens, you know, with those and Stanford. So the other games, I mean, it's going to be fascinating to watch with Washington, uh, USC, Oregon State. Uh, you know, the, if they can find, and Oregon, if they can find a way to win one of those games, I think it's going to really create a lot more excitement for them. The one interesting thing about the Pac-12 is they did away with the ranking system for their bowl uh, invites. So they have the same relationships with the different bowls, Las Vegas, uh, San Francisco, San Diego, the the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl in LA, and then they have that Sun Bowl in uh, El Paso. I don't think there's any chance they're going to send Colorado to El Paso no matter what happens, but I could I could totally see, you know, if things continue right now, you're probably looking at Deion Sanders in Los Angeles or or Las Vegas, uh, and they're going to make it the whole oh, whole sure. big thing. I'm sure it's going to be pretty amazing. So, yeah, I just think um, they they're doing they're doing what they need to do, and that was we'll see we'll see at the end of the year if they end up six and six somehow. That 
a wild fourth quarter uh, comeback is, is going to be pretty meaningful. Uh, but I think they might do a game or two better than that. All right. Well, Brian, yeah. When's that going to come out? Yeah. When can we expect to, to see that? Oh, yeah, probably uh, throughout the day. Uh, we'll get a couple more things out today. I get the power rankings. I, I give out there, uh, you know, about the Louis luggage uh, theme with uh, Colorado. So we, we kind of do our ratings, ba- our, our report card based on luggage and things like that. So we'll get them all out uh, uh, pretty much every few hours here. Monday, Tuesday, we, we load up and then we'll, then we'll focus on Dan Lining. Um, kind of funny thing in Jay Norvell's press conference yesterday for Colorado State, he, he ended it by saying, I guess it's Dan Lanning's week to, to, <laughs> to face all the uh, scrutiny from. Uh, so, yeah, well, I'm sure I'm sure we'll we'll keep an eye on what uh, the coach of Oregon has to say. as All well. right, Brian. Well, yeah, uh, Buffs Beat, right? <laughs> Buffsbeat.com. They can find all that. Yeah, this is yep. uh, SI uh, publication. Uh, great, great stuff. I, I've read a lot of what you guys have, uh, especially with uh, the beginning of the oh, year. Cool. Colorado doing amazing. And then the other teams you cover as well, like you were saying. So this has been awesome, Brian. Uh, Definitely we'll be doing this oh. again uh, sometime soon, talking yeah. just Colorado and then general, even maybe just college uh, college football. Always a, always a great time having you on. Sure. I ah, appreciate you. Um, yeah, thanks so much. You right, guys Brian, have a good day. We'll do this again. Thanks again. Bye. All right, guys. Great show. Let's finish this off with intakes and outtakes of the week. Justin, who is your intake of the week? My intake of the week is Maryland. They should definitely be ranked with an impressive win against Townsend, Charlotte, and Virginia. If Alabama wasn't Alabama or or these powerhouses were not the powerhouses, they would not be ranked. Maryland should be ranked. I'm not saying they're top 10 yet, or maybe the, I think they should be in the top 20. And so far in consideration to play a bowl game with the way they're winning games compared to some of these powerhouses in college football. Yeah, my intake of the week is Bill Connolly, uh, ESPN staff writer. He released a list of 39 best unbeaten teams so far uh, in college football. He ranked Washington as the best one. Um, I'm not going to say they're the best team, but I agree with the take that uh, they are severely underrated and have proven so far that they can be – I mean, they are the best team in the Pac-12 and maybe even college football. So they played um, – yeah, they've been playing really, really well so far. Michael Penix Jr., Heisman frontrunner, uh, in my opinion, 444 passing yards per game, um, 11 and a half yards per drop uh, drop back overall in the in his first two games, or overall, I mean, in his first three games, excuse me, uh, 1,332 yards, 12 touchdowns with only one interception, uh, QBR of 94.2. Uh, he's the first among all QBs in the nation. So, yeah, Bill Connolly, my intake of the week, staff writer who listed Washington as the best team, uh, you know, as the best unbeaten team in college football right now. And I uh, I definitely agree with him on that. Zach, who's your intake of the week? My intake of the week, Joel Klatt saying Shadur Sanders is the most clutch quarterback in college football. And right now it's really hard to disagree with that because he's led come from behind wins in two out of three games, had to do it repeatedly against TCU because that was a back and forth game where if Shadur Sanders doesn't go out and convert a third and 16 or convert a fourth and four, they lose that game. And he's managed to do both of those things. And then you talk about what they did last night or uh, Saturday night against Colorado State Sunday morning at this point. Um, but what they did was spectacular. To go 98 yards in less than two minutes and 
not even have to use – they only use one timeout. To move the ball down the field as effectively as he did was just remarkable. And then to have two touchdown passes in the overtimes to ensure that Colorado would always play from ahead in overtime, terrific accomplishment. Shadur Sanders right now is the most exciting player in college football. I don't know if he's the best. Caleb Williams still exists. Michael Penix is there. Marvin Harrison Jr. is still there. Shadur Sanders right now is the most exciting player in college football, and I agree with Joel Klatt. Right now, the most clutch player in college football this year has to be Shadur Sanders. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, Brian Shable also kind of interview with, just coming off with him. Could not say enough about uh, Sanders, and I think I watched him play Saturday night, uh, and I think, Zach, he's – I mean, his passing is so accurate. Like, the way he can get – the ball in really tight windows and just his accuracy of his throwing is just so good. I was, that's what I was the most impressed about on Saturday night. That actually was the first time I saw him playing Shadir Sanders. And I was, I was really impressed. I was, I was actually shocked by how good he actually, he actually played. Um, outtakes of the week, Justin, who is your uh, outtake of the week? My outtake of the week is the NFC South and the Green Bay Packers. Very competent. As I just said in the intro, both are going to be – the Packers will be a very competent team, and the teams in the NFC South are not what they were last year and not what everybody predicted, that they would be the worst division in football. I think this is a much better division, just kind of like the NFC East last year and pretty much so far this year. The NFC East, you didn't really see those teams improving last year and being a good division. The NFC South is that division in the NFC and in the NFL this year that is coming out of nowhere. And the same goes with the Green Bay Packers as being a team that's better than what the pundits were saying. My outtake of the week is a Eagles reporter for 94 WIP. WIP is the flagship station for the Eagles in Philadelphia. Predicted that the Eagles would lose to the Vikings last Thursday night. He predicted he predicted, predicted the score, excuse me, to be thirty to twenty-seven. Had no confidence in the secondary. Uh, loss of confidence of Jalen Hurts after Week One, Two. Jalen Hurts, of course, ended up coming out uh, playing really well. One hundred ninety-three yards, one touchdown, twelve rushes for thirty-five yards, and two touchdowns as well. Two rushing touchdowns. Um, yeah, so just a bad take by a Philly reporter saying that the Eagles were going to lose to the Vikings. You got to have faith in your own team, especially as a reporter for that city. And, uh, just a bad take, uh, especially when you're wrong. And, uh, the Eagles do actually end up coming out and, uh, with that victory, Zach, who is your outtake of the week? Finish us off. My outtake of the week is people that think Kirk Cousins is overrated. Look, his prime time, which everybody always says Kirk Cousins can't play in prime time. He's had a full season of primetime games since he's joined the Vikings, 17 games. 33 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 4,400 passing yards. That seems pretty good to me. Seems like a pretty good season, all things considered. Kirk Cousins leads the NFL in passing, second in the NFL in passing touchdowns, and his team's 0-2 because they can't stop a nosebleed right now. Everybody wants to blame Kirk Cousins and talk about, oh, he's not that efficient in the red zone, when actually he's one of the most efficient red zone quarterbacks in the National Football League. So, I think people just look to hate on Kirk Cousins for no reason. Is he elite? I wouldn't say he's elite, but is he a top 12 to 15 quarterback? Yes, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think he's showing that he's more valuable than people think. And a lot of the labels that people have of Kirk Cousins, I think, are just misguided because there are a lot of issues outside of him that cause his record to be what it is. Lack of a running game, lack of a defense, 
wins aren't a quarterback stat always, but losses shouldn't always be a quarterback stat either. And I think it's showing with Kirk Cousins. Yeah, definitely. I a lot of the time. I mean, we talked about Thursday night football. I just brought it up. He definitely didn't lose that game for the Vikings on Thursday night football. Week one, I don't think was his fault either. Um, has a he's just not a flashy quarterback. I think that's why a lot of people uh, a lot of um, um, that's, that's a lot of a lot of the grief he gets is just not really being good in prime time. So far this year, though, like I said, last Thursday he played fine. We'll see how he can do um, this year going forward uh, as he's been learning the last couple of years in prime time under the lights and the criticism that he's been getting. Good show, guys. Um, working on the guests for uh, Thursday's show. Definitely will have somebody um, giving giving us a great local perspective into uh, you know NFL team currently um, currently playing right now. So some other baseball talk maybe as well. But definitely have a good guest on Thursday. Working on that, and uh, we'll talk about some college football previews coming up. Getting to the NFL as well a little bit. But um, until then, yeah, we'll see you all Thursday and just keep on. Traveling.